My name is Amy Sudo, and you're listening to The Kingdom of Pavement. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first episode of our podcast. So for those of you who don't know, Kingdom of Pavement is an online publication that I started with my co-founder, Flannery Maney, who is an actress, writer, producer extraordinaire. And we started it to celebrate the rising creatives in Los Angeles that you haven't heard of yet. And we really wanted to uh, share, create a platform to share the art we love, to make new things, to collaborate with our friends, and to uh, really highlight the creative community out here. In this first episode, I sat down with Noah Suarez Sykes, uh, who is my partner in crime when it comes to all things writing. Uh, He makes a mean English muffin from scratch. He also lives with me, full disclosure, Uh, and uh, the two of us have a lot to say about what it means to be a television writer in Los Angeles. Uh, I am a TV writer. I just co-wrote an episode of the show Condor, which is a phenomenal show that you haven't seen, but definitely should. Uh, And Noah is a comedy, dramedy writer who also does stand-up and works at a production company and has written some hilarious scripts. And the two of us uh, first started working together on our mini-series, Con. Uh, for those of you who remember, it was the TV miniseries at USC. Uh, we were nominated for two college television Emmys, uh, and it's a show that we were very proud of, despite the fact it was, yes, a student project made on a tiny budget, but good times were had. Since then, we've both grown a lot as writers, and we've gotten to know the business, and so we want to share a little bit about what it means to be a writer in Los Angeles when it seems like everybody is a writer in Los Angeles, and how to make your pilots stand out and kind of advice and thoughts that we have about writing the business, the industry, and all of that jazz. So welcome to our first episode. Let's get started. Cool. All right, we on? Uh, we are on. We're on. We're on. This Testing. Is- <laughs> this is for the intro when we put together a bunch of these and overlap together. <laughs> like, oh, we're on? With like a reverb. Are we on? Yeah, right. Testing. Exactly. And then your ASMR. Right. Testing. 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 We're testing. Testing. You can make so much money. From yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Kingdom of Pavement cast. Yeah. Kingdom of Podment. Nope. Okay. It's a working title. <laughs> We're still working, working on the podcast title. <laughs> working title. Welcome to Kingdom of Podments. Uh, mm. No, not that one. <laughs> but basically, so in today's episode, Noah and I, because we were both bread-eyed screenwriters and still are. Speak for yourself. I don't have <laughs> no, any eyes. Now we're just bleary-eyed alcoholics. But <laughs> I lost my eyes in the war. The war on eyes. There we go. It's right after the war on terror. Can't be terrified if you can't see. Exactly. Um, so we're going to be talking today about if you are a writer who has just moved out to Los Angeles or you're thinking of moving out to Los Angeles, what should you do in terms of writing your script, getting into the industry, all of the things that we want to tell you before you join the ranks of unemployed writers writing in Starbucks. Please don't write in a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just... Rule r- number one. <laughs> right off the bat. 
Starbucks is not the best coffee shop you can get, and I'd yes. rather you support local businesses if you're going to spend 14 hours in the place. Yeah, agreed. You should taking up their seats only buying $2 cups of coffee. Of course. Excuse me, $4. <laughs> We've all done this. Yeah, definitely. I don't know where you're buying $4 coffees in LA, but I would love to find out. Literally down the street. So, Noah, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I am also a screenwriter. Uh, I am the assistant to the head of a production company right now. So, you know, I've been working in the industry for a year and a little bit of change. Um, so I am a fresh-faced newcomer. Uh, what else? I went to USC for history and screenwriting. Amy went for screenwriting. We have two Emmys between us. <laughs> college college Emmys. television It's very Emmys. important to know that they're college Nominations. Emmys. They're, they're third place wins, which is out of three, which is fine. It's fine. We're, We're very fine. cool. Um, so that's a little bit more about what I am. I tend to write dark, introspective comedies or dramedies or just really funny dramas <laughs> um, somewhere in that continuum uh, about people struggling with uh, with oppressive systems like capitalism and Hollywood anyways so basically we're gonna start from the very beginning you've moved on a very good place to start very so good. I've heard from Julianne in, <laughs> in the beginning uh, so you've moved out to Los Angeles you have your suitcase you found an apartment or are living in someone's the house. You're living car. in someone's guest house, guest. <laughs> which they're letting you stay in for like 1100 which to be honest is pretty, pretty good. good for Los Even Angeles. though you're sleeping above a garage, you're still in the Hollywood Hills, and that's what matters. <laughs> True. So the first thing that uh, the first thing that you need to do is sit down and get a day job, first of all. <laughs> sure. Um, and then decide what you're gonna write for your first script. And um, actually figure out like what kind of writer you are and start to think about like who, when people ask you, who are you? What is your voice? Like, who are you as a writer? What do you want to do? Where do you want to work? Like, you should have some sort of answer to that. Right. On the subject of day jobs, I mean, obviously the thought is you want to start, you want to get something while you angle for an industry job. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, for example, working as a host at a fancy Italian restaurant <laughs> that I will not name, but is definitely <laughs> Italy. Fancy. Um, <laughs> Semi-fancy, uh, rich people go there occasionally. Um, do you want to do you want to tell a story about somebody who laughed at your very funny joke? Oh, it was Amy Adams. Ah, yes, Amy Adams. I met Amy Adams at that job, but that's not important. <laughs> Basically, what you want to do is you want to start. Um, you want to look for any job that you can find in LA because everything is so expensive because capitalism. But really, when you start looking at an industry job, what you start running into the problem of. Um, of you're going to want some sort of connections. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to start trying to build a friend network, hang out with people. This is a lot easier <laughs> if you went to college or, <laughs> yeah. uh, or grad school or something uh, where you already know people, but it's still possible to do even if not. And so many fucking people here work on the... Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah it's a podcast. Okay, good. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if we're, we're going to get... on the radio. <laughs> you know, this is going to get labeled as an explicit podcast. We're going to get banned in China. But, um... Cool. <laughs> cool. And we're betraying Mao Zedong thought. <laughs> That's the new name of this podcast, Banned in China. <laughs> Probably. I thought we were going to go with betraying Mao Zedong thought. That's a great name for a podcast. <laughs> anyway, so the thought is you want to you wanna try building that friend network and... I mean, you and I have discussed this, and I've talked to my interns all about this, but generally what you want to do is you want to shoot for a job in the mailroom at an agency. Yes. It's not going to be the best experience in your life. 
she for the for the viewers because this is a very visual medium <laughs> you can all see that amy just uh, made a face <laughs> well okay so i started off in the mail room at verve which verve is out of all the agencies the best agency and i'm not just saying that because i worked there <laughs> but also because they were the only agency so far like one of the bigger tier agencies that signed the as WG, of recording time as a recording time that they signed the wga's code of conduct which is awesome uh and there are some very lovely people over there um but working in the mail room generally means washing dishes, picking up people's trash, delivering mail, delivering coffee, getting lunch orders right the first time, all the time, every time, if you value your life, <laughs> and like learning, doing the kind of work that you're way overqualified for after you spend four years in college, like studying things that are way above and beyond grabbing coffee, but it's also a valuable experience, and the people that I met in the mailroom and in the trenches are the people that I still like turn to for advice and look up to and have helped me get jobs. And what's most important is you are in front of the agents for when they need assistance. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you want to try grabbing that agent's assistant job. Mm -hmm. And then that's, uh, you want to try grabbing a desk at an agency. Yes. Um, and that's preferably in your in your preferred field, whether that's TV comedy, whether that's, you know, whatever. You want to grab a desk with an agent who represents people that can then hire you. Mm -hmm. So that's a good springboard. And again, that's not a picnic at all. No, but it's better because like I have friends who graduated from USC and then they got writer's PA jobs. And then they when their show ended or got canceled, they couldn't get another job because they didn't know enough people. The goal here is to like find a network of people who are going to help you. Uh, and the best way to do that is to go agency, showrunner's assistant, writer's assistant, get hired to co-write an episode like I did, and then ideally get staffed, make millions of dollars, and then hire us. Millions. Hire me and Noah. <laughs> networking is a real big thing, and as, as much as I hate it, because I feel like networking is the sort of the turning of friendships into capital, uh, which is of course a side effect of the capitalist society in which we live, which crushes us, very political, here's my soapbox, etc. <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of that is just based off of where, who you interact with at whatever job you get after the agency, or even at the agency, you want to start asking people out for drinks, etc. within the company, within, or like externally. Um, People are generally pretty receptive about that. I know I was very nervous the first time I asked somebody out for drinks, so I was like... It's like a first date. Uh, well, like, maybe, like, whatever you have, like, some free time in your schedule, like, movie grab drinks. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm stupid. <laughs> Something like that. But, like, you know, I'm, that's a bit that I've done on this. But it's, it's a lot easier because people, like, expect that. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want to find a spot that's cheap? Yes. So don't go to Wooden Vine. As delicious as everything is there, it definitely <laughs> fat is. Dog, fat Dog on Fairfax. Fat Dog, Blue Collar on Fairfax. Blue Collar is great. Uh, Little Bar is good. Um, uh, welcome back to BarCast. That's <laughs> where we talk about what bars we like. Um, what other, what other places have good happy hour? I love Paper and Plastic. Doesn't 1313 have a good happy hour? Uh, I don't know. I've never been. So I don't know. Uh, Paper and Plastic has a good happy hour if you get there early. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you don't work on the industry. <laughs> no, Paper Plastic is also a, a, the great place to go with the exception that they don't allow laptops on weekends because they know that you're all going to show up and <laughs> yeah that's later for, that's later for coffee talk our podcast about coffee shops you should write in that aren't starbucks i love coffee welcome back to <laughs> podcast talk the podcast where we talk about podcasts that we don't have <laughs> 
Um, but moving on, what if you're not working? So that's the the industry track if you're working in the industry because then it's pretty easy to find mentors, um, get that first job, get an agent, get a manager, all that jazz. But like, if you're not working in the industry, what kinds of day jobs should you have? Well, you want something that's flexible. That's I worked as a host at Italy because a I was able to corner them into giving me a raise because a bunch of them quit at the same time and I was like one of the only people that they had. Um, so that was the thing. Um, but. You want to like a job like a host job or a waiter job as cliche as it is because waiters get paid a lot in tips depending on how good of a waiter you are and depending on where you work but also you have flexible shifts Mm -hmm. and that's important but like any job any day job that you get is gonna leave you drained at the end of the day so really what's important is figuring out something that you can then schedule in time to write i know when I was doing Italy, I was working a lot on the weekends, uh, so I didn't have a lot of time to, that was what should have been my writing time. I was working a lot on the weekends, I was working a lot during the week, and then just kind of like leaving home and coming home at weird hours, didn't leave me enough time to write. Uh, Amy does this thing where she wakes up very early and writes in the morning, which I can't do because the morning is a horrible, horrible time of day for me to be awake and alive, uh, and if it's before 12, I'm not fully awake. But what's good about working at a nine to five now is that I actually have days off in quotation marks because I still have to answer emails. But I have days off where I can just sort of be like, well, this is the day for uh, for writing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good. It really depends on what your personal capacity for like having energy after working a job is. So restaurant job is going to be flexible but stressful. A nine to five is going to be probably lower stress, but it's going to take a more of your time. Yeah. And also because you're not working in an industry job, you need to hustle way more with the networking and you also need to be shooting your own stuff, making short films, trying to get into festivals, producing, finding friends who produce, like going more of the indie route so that you're still plugged into some aspect of the industry. Well, and on that subject, let's talk a little bit more about like, what if you're not in the industry? Yeah, because it can feel really isolating if you're just like out in the ether of Los Angeles and you can see everybody who's in the industry, but you're not. So it can be a little bit like isolating. So other than like getting into like getting drinks and going to networking mixers and trying to find like networking groups, um, the like the more you can kind of like be in like the indie film community or make a web series or just do things that kind of get you out there as a storyteller in this medium somehow. And that's not cheap. Yeah, but also I have a lot of friends who are nannies, uh, who do childcare, do all sorts of things. So whatever kind of jobs you can patchwork together that also you don't get too comfortable in because if you get an office job that is like long enough hours that is outside of the industry and you get benefits and you get a good paycheck, you'll oh, become you reliant on it. <laughs> but no, but you'll become reliant on it. Like I have so many friends who've taken office jobs and not like if you need to go for it, but I think it's better to take jobs that leave you more time to be flexible and make projects. Um, like... But, I mean, it really depends. Take I mean, this is, where we di- this is where yeah. we disagree because yeah. I think that it's possible to have, like, an office job and with benefits, with a salary, etc., and then still work on... If you're working 80 hours a week at your job, whether it is an industry job or not, then you're not going to have time to write and you're not going to have time to, like, create ideas, so you should quit. <laughs> like, honestly, I think it's better to be able to have more time to work on your own stuff than work for somebody who is supposedly going to be powerful and help you, but they're taking up all your time and you don't have any time to develop scripts. Because if you're a writer, you'll write. If you're not a writer, you won't write. That's as simple as it gets. Wow. (laughs) 
but that is as simple as <laughs> and having a writer's group helps a lot with like staying on top of the script you have to turn in like I have a weekly writer's group we meet from 7 to 10 every Monday lovely it's a lovely group of women who some of them were playwrights from New York some of them like they're all doing phenomenal stuff they're all super talented and I feel like very excluded <laughs> you're like a separate writer's but group but what about the men <laughs> <laughs> um Really, it's the man who has a problem here. <laughs> you are really like... I'm being facetious. Just so everybody knows. Yeah, but if you have to show up every week and turn pages in, or else you have to buy booze for everybody, that's a great way to motivate yourself to actually go and write pages. Um, so the goal, so the takeaway here is like, if you move to Los Angeles and get a job, industry or non-industry, you have to write no matter what, or else you cannot be a writer. And here's the other thing, you know, don't, if you're out of LA and you're trying to make it as a writer, not very likely because, because all the writer's rooms are in LA. All of the places where you could get a job would require you to relocate to LA, even if you've cold submitting your script and there's been that whole thing. I mean, you still end up having to move here and it's easier for people to hire somebody who lives local than yeah. to be like, oh, we're going to pay a relocation fee. Yeah, yeah, and then and even also like people want to meet you and spend time with you, and people want to hire their friends. So if you and people want to build a network, I mean, you want people want to hire people who are in their network who they like, etc. Mm -hmm. And you know the reality of the fact is that you're going to be outside of the network by virtue of living in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, nothing wrong with Kansas City. Well, but... I mean, there we beg to differ. <laughs> As an Illinois person, <laughs> I have to look down on the rest of the Midwest because that's how Chicagoans are. True. Um, but basically, yeah, you have to move out here because of the network, because that's how people get hired, because that's how you get a, a job in the industry, and you just have to be here to be a writer. And there's exceptions, of course, but you have to be here. You know, the best way to be a writer is to, is to absorb a lot of information via books, via uh, online stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I find it very difficult to make time in my day to... Re sit down and read a book. But you know what? With audible.com, <laughs> I can actually listen to a book anywhere I go. Really? And it's that easy. It's that easy. You know, audible.com is such a great presence in my life, but I like to listen to it in a very comfortable setting. And there's no setting more comfortable than my Casper mattress. <laughs> and while you're on that mattress, think about ordering Blue Apron. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. Viewers, I just... Viewers, listeners, I just want you all to know I put in some seconds of white space for Amy to edit this around, and then I said go, and then she smacked her lips and didn't. I brushed my hair for this. I hope you're happy. And um, it's a visual medium. Anyway, so we're back and we're here to talk about the real part about being a writer, which is writing things uh, and how to write a compelling concept. Or, as Noah likes to say... Actually, that's not how I like to say it, but I know what you're trying to say, which is, where's the there there? You know, oh, hey. Exactly. Uh, that's the voice that I'm going to be doing. Uh, just so you all know, um, the voice that I do for a Holly big Hollywood producer is something along the lines of, where's the there there? You know, uh, so get this, all right? There's this Pope, <laughs> no. and he's young... <laughs> And he's hip. And get this. He fucks. And that, folks, is how the young Pope got sold to HBO. What about the new Pope show? 
There's a new There's pub a show? new pub show. It's called The New Pope. Is it called The New Wait, Pope? Wait, I think it's called The New Pope. Let me Google this real fast because this is really important. I... I think it's hey called the now, new pope. You're a young pope. Go do pope things. Go pray. Hey now, you're a young pope. Go do pope things. Crusade. All indulgences are gold. Fuck, I fucked that up. Oh my god, what? Yep. And it's Paolo Sorrentino. It's the same dude. Yep, the new pope, friends. But. Okay, so it's. Oh, it's a. No, it's, it's a not continuation. A new, it's a continuation it's of But it doesn't look like that in the trailers. But, like, it's Jude Law. Jude Law is right there. They green-screened him in. <laughs> it's Paolo Sorrentino. It's Jude Law. It's John Malkovich, somehow. Um, but, like, first of all, he's not a new pope anymore. He's already been the young pope. <laughs> also, who the fuck, like, elects a pope named Lenny? His know. name is Lenny Bellardo in the series. That. I stopped so it's like, it. And also, I think he's a Pope Pius. And historically, Pope Piuses have been bad. Anyway, you can edit all of that out, or except not. for Pope, or not. We can Pope just put too, that too fast, too Pope, too furious. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> listen. It's the young Pope, the new Pope. It's too new, too Pope. Pope three, Tokyo Drift, which is all about trying to bring Catholicism to Japan during right before the Sokoku era, and uh, then it's the Pope and the Pope. Um, <laughs> I guess no, no, no. The Holy and the Sea. Ah. Um, then it's uh, Pope five. <laughs> Pope five, yes. In which five popes <laughs> battle for supremacy. <laughs> I would watch that. I joke, but I'd watch the shit out of that. I would watch that so hard. Um, the new so pope- anyway, the phrase that Amy was uh, was trying to get me to say was, where's the there there? You know? And uh, I was really trying to get you to say the young pope. <laughs> that was the phrase I was trying to get <laughs> you to say. We were all trying to get me to say the young pope. The young pope. How dreamy. <laughs> I kid. Uh, Catholicism is, I mean, obviously the only, the one correct religion. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, so, the, where's the there there is kind of just like a phrase that people say when they know that something's wrong with a script, but they can't really identify what. And what's wrong with the or rather... It's a phrase that people say when the central idea doesn't have any weight behind it, but they can't really identify why exactly. Um, And that's actually, this is a conversation that I've had with people, but basically the core of that is that you need to find the unique idea behind your script. And I'm not saying like, you know, it has to be a totally, absolutely radically new thing because every single work of fiction that's ever been produced draws on other things. Right, so like I've I've written things that are influenced by things that I've read. Those things have been influenced by previous books, etc. But there's got to be some sort of unique concept at the heart of the story. And what what's been described to me is that that unique concept has to have a frisson. What it has it has to have a paradox that basically makes you imagine you're walking past like a designer store window and like you see you out of the corner of your eye you see like a garment but like something's wrong with it so you walk past it but then you walk back turn around and you look at the window that's basically what your concept has to be it has to be something that makes somebody do a double take and be like oh that's interesting right and this is kind of a this is kind of like a magic eye poster type thing where you can really only see it if you squint uh as as because like you can see your script in the totality is like 
it's a movie about this pope, right? And get what he's <laughs> young. Guess what? He's young. It's a limited series about this pope, and he's young, and he's like out there, and he's fucking, and he's got a lesbian nun who's a sidekick. And in episode one, he gets a kangaroo. <laughs> Welcome back to the new pope cast. <laughs> Are um, we talking about all the new popes? We talk about all the popes. Anyway, so there has to be a unique concept that's basically going to make the reader do a double take. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to recommend it to us. Somebody's going to send it in. A manager's going to kind of cold call us and be like, I have a script. And then it's going to go to coverage. So what that means is depending on what kind of company it is. So if it's a smaller company and intern will cover it. If it's a larger company that can like hire script readers, like a professional script reader will look at it. But basically they're going to write coverage, which is a summary of the script for people that are never going to read it. And so it's going to have a log line, it's going to have a comment summary, it's going to have a summary of what the script is, and then the reader's comments. And the thing about that is when that reader reads a script, your script has to have a concept that grabs them. And I'm not saying that like page one, there should be a house burning down or something like that. But I'm saying that the central conceit of the story should be clear very early on, and it should be something we haven't seen before, or we've seen very rarely. Um, I th- a example that was given to me talking about this, um, sorry, this is a very long monologue, but the example that was given to me about this was Men in Black is an interesting concept because there is a paradox in that these are, the Men in Black traditionally are portrayed as a very villainous organization, right? There's there's like these shady government people, they're wiping people's memories, they're doing all sorts of shady shit, uh, there's CIA, and we all know that, but... They're all portrayed in that way. And what's interesting about Men in Black is that flips it on his head where the Men in Black are actually the good guys because they're trying to protect us from, and here's the second part of the concept that's interesting, the fact that aliens live among us and live as normal people and just interact all day. So already, A, the initial concept is a paradox. So it's interesting, you want to take a look at it. But B, the second part of the concept sets up a world. And that world is something that then has potential for innumerable spin-offs. Three, it has the potential <laughs> for two sequels and then a spin-off with Chris, Hems- Chris Hemsworth and What's-Her-Face. And I feel bad that Tessa Thompson. There we go. Yeah. And then kind of going off and the same with like on the TV side, like The Americans. Like The Americans was such a phenomenal show because we're the, the heroes are the... <laughs> Russian spies who we've come to hate in like the Cold War setting and that was such a really interesting um, kind of way to turn that concept on his head but moving beyond just like the concept and, and what you have to pick has to be something that has a there there and something that is like going to be stand out from the crowd and make people do a double take but it has to be something that is uniquely you and you have to be the only person who can write it right because for this first sample to get you in the door and forget to people be like oh this script like you you have to be there has to be some part of you in this script um for example i do a lot of ghost writing and i've ghost written memoirs for people all over the world so my newest script follows surprise a ghost writer and kind of delves into like the psychological impacts of that experience and like got kind of like dives into that world of what it's like to be a ghost writer Or, for example, my newest script is about a man who's depressed. (laughs) Right, so, like, my script is is about sort of depression, about mental illness, which, you know, I suffer from. Bam! This podcast just got deep. Real. Got real. real. (laughs) Welcome back to Real Cast. Welcome back to One Bottle of Wine Cast. (laughs) How 
dare you? How dare you even suggest that I would be slightly inebriated for a podcast? <laughs> Why? I'm not suggesting Amy, it. I'm blatantly I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm a professional. We've and had two you, bottles of wine. And for you to denigrate me in this way when I've been mainlining <laughs> heroin the entire time <laughs> is just absolutely, just absolutely <laughs> irredeemable of you. And yes. I'm definitely, I hit that whiskey. But... Yeah, if you just sort of like hand it to me. Folks, Amy is handing me the whiskey with difficulty. <laughs> um, difficulty. <laughs> no difficulty was had in the handing, handling of the whiskey. And you know what? This is why you all, this is why all four of you tune in. <laughs> are all, still listening. This is why people are still parents. listening. <laughs> well, I guess I my not. parents and then a couple members of my extended family. <laughs> <laughs> she shushed me, folks. She shushed me. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yes, so where were we? Yes, it has to have a little bit of you. Um, and sorry, when I say it has to have a little bit of you, that's not intended to, dis- or when we say that, rather, it's not intended to dissuade you from setting it in Zargon space 3,000 years in the future. What has to happen is it has to have an element behind it that is in some way relatable to who you are as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you're setting it in the future, the conflicts and the struggles that, it's going, that are going on have to be related to something that you know about. Yeah, so when and you something go into, that you experience. Yeah, when you go into a pitch meeting and people are like, so why did you write this thing? Why did you spend 60 pages in this world that doesn't exist? Or 30. Um, you can be like, oh, well, this is why. Like, I had, like, I grew up in this town. I did this job. I faced this trauma. These themes resonate with me. But yeah, so it has to be based on, so once you have your hook, once you have your there there, once you have your personal connection, you also need to have your why now, which is why are you writing this now? Why do we need to see this TV show, movie, web series, one act play now? So I'm actually, I'm glad that you brought up pitching because I think we should sort of talk about what goes into a pitch. I actually, I give my interns a, what I do with my interns is I basically, I do a development cycle with them. So I, they send in their projects, we read them, we give notes, then they develop a pitch, a look for it, et cetera. It's a very good internship. I'm not going to send you the email to apply, but it's a very <laughs> good internship. So if you find it, good on you. So here's the essential structure that I send them. It's an hourglass structure. So you start out very broad with an introduction of like, what brought you into this concept? Because ideally they'll have read the script more realistically, they will have read the log line of the script. So they have a general idea of the concept. So you want to start with a broad outline of what brought me to this concept, right? And then you want to narrow it a little bit to tell us more about the world or the characters, depending on whether your script is, for example, like a period piece and you have to kind of lay out the setting, or your script is a modern day piece and what it centers on is the character, something like that. So you want to talk about the world of the characters. Then you want to narrow even further to like, here's the main character, here's the thing. You want to then further narrow to one image, one very powerful moment that you can hold as the centerpiece of the show, and this is what the show is. Bam. And then from there, you want to start talking about what's the pilot. You want to walk them through the steps of the pilot. You don't have to take that much time with it, but you know this is what we're going to be seeing in the pilot. This is what we're going to be seeing. Then widen a little bit out. Here's season one. What we're going to be seeing episode to episode, right? What's the season arc for these characters? Then, even wider, what are plans for the series going forward, right? What season two look like? What season three look like? What season four look like? What season five look like? And then after that point, you don't need to have any additional things. Five seasons is the optimal run for a television series. Yeah, and you should always end your pitch on theme. And like, it's a show about 
pirates, but it's really about family. <laughs> right, and that's the widest thing. I also, I tell my interns to sort of uh, add a twist on that, just a little bit like three steps into the process when you're talking, when you're leading up to that moment, you're like, it's a show about two serial killers who are married, but what it's really about is the complexities of relationships. Something like that. You want to you wanna have a moment where you say, it's sure it's about blank, but what it's really about is this other thing. Yeah. Because that's that's the there there. That's the, the frisson between those two things is what lends interest and credence to your idea. Yeah, and that also makes you, A, sound really smart in a pitch, and B, makes the executive who listened to your pitch and then goes to repitch it to their boss sound really smart to their boss. Right, because the, the process is basically you'll meet with an exec, the exec, after it's gone through coverage, it's gone up to the exec, the exec has been like, hmm, maybe I'll take a meeting. Uh, hopefully you got your food comped. <laughs> that's, that's the dream. So you meet with this exec, the exec will go back to their boss and be like, hey, I read this really cool, or I had this meeting with this person, and they pitched me blank. It's blank, but what it's really about, and you want to have, you want to have, and this is just a me thing, but you want to have some sentences which are quotable. Yeah. At which they can turn around and tell to their boss. Yes. And you want to have like a few lines of dialogue in your pitch. Just like really short ones that are really memorable. Um, that people can be like, can pull out too. So just like giving people A, digestible things they can repitch to their boss. And like a few like really memorable lines of dialogue that kind of ring in their heads. And like keep them thinking about and interested in your pitch. And it's best when you do that dialogue, throw it in with the characters. Because dialogue comes from character. So if you can associate the character in the dialogue, then bam, you're showing what the conflicts are, you're showing what they are, you're showing the engine of the series. Let's talk about the engine of the series, Amy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in the writing, I occasionally do writing workshops here in Los Angeles because I love um, taking on everything and doing all of all of the things. Tell us more about these writing <laughs> workshops. And where can one sign up for them, perhaps? Um, <laughs> where are they located at uh, a certain place called Paper and Plastic? Yes, yeah. I'm not doing any right now because I'm so busy. But um, when I do do them, I, I hand out a little sheet that has a very bad sketch of an engine with my it labels. Is, it is <laughs> almost clip art. It is. It's actually clip art. <laughs> wow. I have beautiful graphic design That's skills. That's the quality. Don't at me. Um, yes. And in the engine, I talk about the most important things that power your series. So your character's secret, the thing that they are hiding in the world that generates both their internal conflict with the conflict within themselves that has two paths and that they are torn between throughout the whole series, their external conflict, their main that also powers their main relationships in the series. Um, and basically how they interact with the other characters and the things like love triangles that they have to overcome. Um, and uh, those are the kind of like the core pieces of the engine. But then, of course, we have like the world and all of the other pieces of the story that come together. Right. And really what you want to do is you want to you want to outline those conflicts because conflict is the engine of the story. Conflict is what makes the story go forward. And you want to make sure that that's sort of represented and that you have a clear grasp on what that is. Yeah, one of the things we do in my writing group that I actually really love is we outline the ABC story and um, we talk about every character's, like every story in terms of here's a character, here's what they want, here are the things that are stopping them from getting what they want, and then here, and like that's the conflict and the obstacles, and then here are the steps they're going to take to try and get what they want, and then here's the outcome. So we break that out into our A, B, C, D stories, and that's actually helped a ton in kind of thinking about conflict in a way that turns into story beats. So there's two types of writers. 
Pantsers and plotters. God damn it, let me <laughs> say it. So a pantser is somebody who basically flies by the seat of their pants, hence the name. A pantser will start writing without a clear idea of where they're gonna end up and write the characters as they appear in their heads, essentially throw them out on the page and then construct a thing. I did that in high school and I threw out an entire novel. <laughs> and it's so good. The other, the other school of thought is the plotters. A plotter is somebody who will outline out the whole thing and they'll basically go through and just precision label all of the beats and all of the changes and turns. And then only once everything is completely plotted out will they write out the characters. And each method has its strengths. Pantsers will get more, they will get more believable characters because they will be able to adjust on the fly to the narrative, to the character's actions in the narrative. Whereas a plotter is kind of stuck with what they've created and finds it difficult to basically go back and revise once the actions that their characters have done have changed a little bit. But on the other hand, a plotter will have a season that is essentially paced better um, or a, a episode that is paced better because they will have shown all of the beats, etc. So, and then just to jump in real quick, the way, like, I was a, a pantser and became a plotter, and the way that I think that plotters can retain the spontaneity of pantsers and still keep the structure of an outline is when I'm, the thing that I've started on my new script is first I write stream of consciousness free writing, just like exercises and like short stories about my characters and their motivations and who they are. And then I take all of this like pages and pages of just like free writing and I turn it into outlines that are then based in the characters. Sure. And I'm a plotter who became a pantser because uh, fuck the rules. <laughs> and fuck dove rules. Amy, this is not... <laughs> and do I look like Timmy Turner? <laughs> the answer is yes, a little bit. But, you know, we don't, we're not going to talk about that. I look like blonde Timmy Turner, but also tall. Anyway, the point being... Um, please edit all of that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm a plotter who became a pantser. So, I'm coming at it from, like, the opposite direction. Where I think that... It, it also really depends how you write. So, if you're a person that, like, chips away at something day after day after day, then you're more likely to be a plotter. Whereas, if you're somebody like me, who basically sits down one day and is like, I'm gonna write, and then at the end of the day just emerges with a pilot that's finished, <laughs> then you're likely to be a pantser. And both approaches are valid. Mm -hmm. They're so valid. So valid. So valid. But, um, We're you know. We're just here to validate you. They have, thank you, I feel I mean, so I'm talking valid. to listeners, not you, but. <laughs> <laughs> wow, listeners, I just want you to know that I'm crying. <laughs> Like, there are just tears running <laughs> down my face as Amy levels a gun at my head. I don't even own a gun. Amy, Amy stop lying to them. <laughs> this is an auditory medium. And I'm just like, oh no! Ew, <laughs> 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 bitch. In seriousness, though. I would say, I would say... The pantsers can also get some of the organization of the plotters by A, whatever writing system you use, or whatever writing software you use, rather, make sure that you can reorder scenes. <laughs> this is actually very important because you'll reread it. Uh, and that's actually what I recommend you do if you're a pantser, just reread, reread, reread all the time. Go back through and just re edit, re edit, re edit. 
And sometimes you have accidentally poisoned the well and the foundation <laughs> that you've created doesn't really work anymore. Which has happened to me on a couple of pilots and then, you know, it's just going to be work that you have to redo. And that's when you pull out the note cards and the color pens. Yeah, if you're extra. <laughs> like me, I I have a whole She's wall. Extra. I have a whole wall of note cards right Do now. Do the kids still say extra? Am I a kid? Am I a youth? <laughs> yes, you're still a youth. I, I feel like I'm 27. I feel like I'm 40. I legitimately told somebody I was 27 the other day and they didn't question it. So it's <laughs> like, I feel like I'm she glad. didn't. She just did not question it in the slightest. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm world-weary or... Tall. You're tall. Wow, okay. I feel very... You know what? I thought this is a safe space for tall people, but... It's definitely not a safe space for tall people. Wow. Folks, I am being discriminated against <laughs> for being tall. Amy's, like, perhaps, like, half a foot shorter than me, so... Like... I'm five seven and a half. thank you very much. Oh, so you're not... Yeah, actually, so yeah, you're half a foot shorter than me. Whenever. Not when I wear heels. Going back to this, so those are the two schools of thought. So either you're sort of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person, or you're I'm going to meticulously plot it out. Now, I say that, but a lot of people fall in between that. There's plants, which are in between. <laughs> plants. Uh, plants are what they're called. In my book, otherwise, the term is plants, which <laughs> is stupid. Anyway, plants. That sounds French. You <laughs> yes. Stupid Americans! I plants all the time with my landlord so that I do not have to pay rent. <laughs> uh, very accurate caricature of a Frenchman. So let's move into okay. They have they've either pantsed or plotted. They have a draft. Right. What do they do with the draft? Well, and that's actually where your networking comes in handy. So ideally, by now, thank, because you've listened to our sage advice. Wait, no, wait. We forgot something. Coffee shops. Where are they writing? Where are they writing? Where are they we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. We have a whole podcast about <laughs> coffee shops. <laughs> Folks, if you're not writing a paper of plastic, which we're not getting paid to promote, we just like it a lot. <laughs> just love it a lot. Paper and plastic. Awesome coffee. We have a free jazz night on Wednesdays. What's that place downtown that's like on Broadway that's really nice? That's which like one? got the outdoor seating. Verve Coffee? I think no. They have not, outdoor seating. It's not Verve, but it's like it's in the 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 Eastern. It's in that hotel building. I don't know. Anyway, it's in that hotel building. You you know. You, Google. You Google it. It's good. That's good. Bottega and Santa Monica. Mm. I actually recommend that you just go to your local public library and uh, just that find too. a good spot and uh, write because it's going to be quiet. There's going to be a low murmur of things happening. It really depends on your noise level. If you've listened to our stage advice, you have friends who are writers, friends who are producers, friends who are directors. Just, you know, even if they're small time. Friends. You have friends. You have friends, <laughs> which, you know, we don't, but still. Um, That's why we're making a podcast on a Friday night. <laughs> right, because podcasting is essentially the millennial equivalent of, can we start a band? We should start a band. <laughs> yeah. And it should be like, we should do like covers of like Fall Out Boy songs. But on banjos. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> or or play the electric triangle. What about like a Panic at the Disco song? But, get this, we do it in like an indie voice, you know? Is it to me that makes you sweat? Now you think about it <laughs> The lights are low and your head is first. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. You need a banjo. Uh, no, no, no. It can be all acapella. So, basically, what you'll have is you've created this friend network if you've listened to our sage advice. 
And what you will have then is you'll have people who will be able to read your script. And this is so important, getting eyes on it in any context. Even if it's rough, even if you're sending it out, whoever you're sending it out to then has connections. And if they think they can profit from your script uh, because of capitalism, then they'll do so. So that's actually, that's actually a really important thing is, so that you, is to build that network and build out who you know. And then even if they're not like, well, I can make money off of this, they can be like, well, I can send this somewhere um, where it'll be successful. And the thing is, in this industry, what's really important is that generally, if you are friends with somebody who's making money, their success will impact you. So there's a little bit of a collaborative uh, part to that. It's, it's all, all boats rise with the tide. So like yes. you want to help your friends. Like a rising tide lifts all there boats. There we go. That's the quote. Um, so you want to help your friends and your friends want to help you because it's like we're all in the trenches together. We're all poor and trying to make it as writers. So it's in like. the words of some of our greatest philosophers. We're all in this together. When do you know? I don't really know the lyrics to it. I made a, there's a video on the internet called Middle School Musical where I choreographed a group I've of seen this. sixth graders. Your brother is in it, right? My brother's in it. Oh, this is why I keep all of my videos way off. <laughs> I think I moved this one to private. Anyways. Folks, you can find a link to that video <laughs> in the description. In the show notes. Please remember to like, subscribe, and, uh, and comment. Yeah, and so once you finish your script, the first thing you want to do is get a bunch of people to read it and give you honest feedback, which is really important because you want to hear what people actually think about your script, how you can improve, and then from there you can start rewriting it, sending it out to contests, sending it out to friends, and then you start work on your next script. And I do want to say, writing is not for everyone. And occasionally you're going to get feedback that writing is not for you. This is perhaps going to come as a big blow to your ego and self-esteem. If that is something that you're like, really like, I want to be a writer. But there's a lot of different avenues in the industry and all of them involve some creativity. Producing, mm -hmm. being a creative exec, being a director, etc. If writing isn't exactly your thing, and I know a lot of people who are like really smart, really great creatives, they're just not good writers. But what they're really good at is they're good at putting together a group around a script. So they're good at identifying actors, producers, etc. And what they are? Managers. And uh, then and they make much more money than writers. <laughs> like just shit tons of money. So really, you have to be open to criticism, which is hard, especially if you've poured like your soul into a script, which is why I don't recommend having a soul to begin with. <laughs> and um, so, you know, that's, but sometimes it's like people really want to be, and I've encountered this, like people really want to be writers. And they're like, I want to be a writer. I want to go out to LA and make it big and buy myself a house in the Hollywood Hills, baby. Um, but and they're that's like, not for everybody. And it's just not. And like what they wrote is essentially like a diehard knockoff. It's like diehard on a ship. Which is called speed too. Cruise control. Right. <laughs> yeah. Except what it's actually called Beautiful is the Poseidon. Anyway, no, so it's like, you know, and which is not like something that's really Yeah, and soft. I mean, you'll know if you're a writer if you write every single day or most You days. might be a writer if you <laughs> write every day. <laughs> because writers write. And if you don't enjoy the process of writing, if you're writing because you want fame and fortune, those are the wrong reasons to write. Like, now, you, you might be a writer if you spend too much time in a coffee shop. 
you might be a writer if you've ever cold submitted a script to a management company. <laughs> you might be a writer if you occasionally use the word shopped it, the phrase shopped it around. Yeah, but I mean, ideally, like the best writers are also the writers who live a life worth writing about and who go out and have interesting experiences and are constantly curious about the world and they're constantly reading and watching and finding new adventures and doing something other than recording a podcast on a Friday night. <laughs> How dare you? How I'm, dare I? I'm a very interesting person. So, like, how dare you? <laughs> um, but the, the Welcome I, back to Conflict Cast, the podcast. <laughs> Where we talk about conflict. <laughs> Where we resolve our conflict in a mature and approachable way. Exactly. But the idea <laughs> here, I mean, if you, if you want to work in Hollywood, you have to know that A, it's a collaborative meeting. B, you're going to get a lot of criticism. And C, you've got to be a team player who can network and who enjoys the part of the industry where you're constantly meeting people, going out for drinks, uh, and building a team and people around you to help support your work. And there's a flip side to all of this. So the flip side of criticism is that you have to know how to give it. Because you can't, you can't just be like, this was awful. Like, there's a tendency that I see among the interns <laughs> to sort of dunk on a script for being bad. They'll be like, the characters were terrible. I mean, could you imagine? Like, this is, they're, they're like trying to outdo like each clever new phrase. And I'm like, that's not what I'm asking for. I'm not asking you to dunk on it. You're not reviewing this. And that's very important to keep in mind. When you're giving critique, you're not reviewing it. And I know a lot of people have read reviews, and reviews are meant to appeal to the public and are meant to be like, you know, snarky when things are bad. If you're critiquing a script, what you need to do is you need to give constructive, I know this is a very overused term, but constructive criticism. So you can't focus on like shitting on someone for their script, but rather focus on what aspects of the script were interesting or good, and then being like, well, here's what you can do with this. Like, as a writer and as a reader and as anyone working in Hollywood, you have to be able to identify what a concept should be, what what the potential in a script, the potential in your script, what you can work on, and then how to, how to accept criticism and evolve every script that you have from there. And to know that there is no such thing as final drafts, only final cuts. Every Except for final draft software. <laughs> Which is right <laughs> i didn't say Buy that don't writer. come after me Buy writer duet it's 60 bucks you have it forever it also has collaborative functions and it's very good software it's cheaper but i mean the, the idea here is as a writer in hollywood it's not like you're a novelist instead you have to be part of the collaborative process you have to be open to collaboration and criticism and all of the politicking and <laughs> and stupid shit that goes on around sure. the actual content and the writing that you're actually doing. And what you really need to be working on is you need to be working on curating a portfolio. So what's really important about this is, one, you need to have a brand. Because we live in a late capitalist hellhole, every human being needs to have a brand, TM, around which their personality, etc., is based. But what really, you need to be able to find something that defines you as logline. Amy, what would you say your logline as a writer is? Um, well, at USC, we actually had to do like a workshop of like how to pitch yourself as a writer in 30 seconds. Um, and mine was, I write complex female characters uh, who face the cost of their own ambition. 
And it's inspired by experiences I've had in my own life. And I write uh, different kind of psychological dramas and spy thrillers in that vein. Right. So something like that where you want to, I can do mine. Yeah, go, yeah, do yours. I write dark comedies about people trying to free themselves from oppressive systems, which is based off of my experience uh, living as a human being in a late capitalist society. But I also generally have a psychological slant that comes from my own struggles with uh, mental illness and depression. Bam! So you want to pitch, you want to be able to sort of curate your portfolio to be about that. And I, like, for example, I have a lot of different things in my portfolio that are all kind of... There's some period pieces, there's contemporary pieces and all that, but they're centrally themed around the same kind of thing. Yeah, right? and I have novels and spy thrillers and plays and all sorts of novels weird... Novels and spy thrillers, <laughs> plays, and all weird stuff. And short stories that are all based around these, like, female these characters. These are the things which we want to pick up. Yeah, and um, and that's how I pitch myself in a room and to meetings, and, um, and and that's kind of like the line that I give people when they're asking, like, just tell me who you are, and that also helps people like my managers put me up for jobs that, like, I want to be put up for and, and helps give people a sense of how to sell me. Yeah, and that's really important to sort of identify what your brand is. Um, but so inspiration, I recommend reading a lot, and I, I don't mean just like, you know, you read a lot of novels. I recommend you read nonfiction about history, you read philosophy, you read science, all that sort of stuff, because you never know when something's going to spark, essentially. And what's also really interesting right now is that we're in the space where, like, networks are saying they don't want period pieces, but period pieces are phenomenally successful in a lot of ways. So, like, uh, I mean, Game of Thrones is in many ways a period piece because it is based explicitly off of the War of the Roses. Um, it's based off of underlying IP. And by the way, if you can write some underlying IP or secure the rights to some underlying IP, that's a sweet gig right there. But a lot of that comes out of George R. R. Martin's knowledge of the War of the Roses and knowledge of history. So if you're interested in writing the next Game of Thrones, and that's the clickbaity headline, then what you need to do is you need to immerse yourself in history, you need to immerse yourself in philosophy, in science, in law. Just be reading, be absorbing new knowledge all of the time. You also need to constantly be exploring the world, and my favorite way of exploring the world is learning new hobbies. Uh, so at USC, I was a competitive ballroom dancer. I still keep up my salsa. I'm also a pole dancer. I teach yoga. If you want to come to my free yoga class, I teach yoga for writers. at Harold A. Henry Park in Midwilshire. Yeah. Who knows how Harold A. Henry died? Probably mysteriously and tragically. Harold You'll A. Find Henry out. died in a shootout with federal <laughs> agents after his prohibition. I don't know who Harold A. No, he's a councilman. I don't think that's how he died. But if you oh, come to my LA yoga class, you'll probably find out. Because um, this month we're focusing on hips and it's also... Harold A. Henry Appreciation <laughs> Month. But when, going back to the topic of inspiration... I think it's so much more, you can be so much more dynamic in a room if you can talk about an experience you've had, a job you've had, a moment that you've had either when you're traveling or working or whatever, and you can bring it back to um, the story that you're working on was inspired by your experiences. So that's why you have to constantly be learning, traveling, reading, working, doing interesting things. So seeking out, even if you don't travel at all, even if you're finding like low budget ways to explore and find hobbies, you need to constantly be living the life you want to be writing about. 
And then also going back to the heart of it all, like, why are you telling this story? Why are you the person to tell the story? Why do you want to tell this story? Like, what's right. important for you about putting these words on a page, spending painstaking hours, typing them out, revising them, reworking them? Like, why do you care? What is it about this story that it needs to get out in the world? Right. Why is this your magnum opus? Yeah. Why? And because it's like, why should they buy this? Why should expensive. people watch this? Why should people read this? Why should people spend their most valuable resource, time, on your project, on your story? So for the three people that stayed to the end, thank, thank you, you so much for listening. And also... Thanks, Mom and Dad. I appreciate <laughs> that you listened to my voice for that long. <laughs> we uh, certainly can't. But please check out kingdomofpavement.com. We've got, we're profiling a lot of phenomenal artists, writers actors on there and if you like this podcast if you like our website then please, please consider... don't forget to like comment and subscribe <laughs> and also consider becoming a pavement patron maybe donating a dollar a month just to help us keep the lights on Folks, come on a dollar a month is less than you spend on coffee literally great so stay tuned thank you so much for listening and we'll be back at you with more content more weird art shit more, more ASMR hashtag content. more hashtag content we're gonna have some asthma in here <laughs> you hear that you freaks like that <laughs> yeah you hear that I'm flicking the mic <laughs> I just wanna say we're not sponsored by Casper Mattresses or Blue Apron or Audible etc we are here for the people we yes. say what's on our mind because we're fighting for the people but if any of those corporations want to give us money I will say whatever they want me to <laughs> anything they want and Noah where can people catch up with you uh, well, they're going to have to run pretty fast, uh, but any of the streets outside of our home uh, when I go on a run. But uh, in all seriousness, you can catch up with me on my Twitter at Noah Sykes. It's N-O-A-H-P-S-Y-C-H-S. See, it's cool. It's funny. It's a pun. <laughs> I mean, like, that's what the kids want these days, <laughs> I is. think. That's what the youths want. Um, and you also have a phenomenal article about bread that also premiered on this month's issue of Kingdom of Pavement. I do. I would love to, to just do a bread cast that's just me talking about bread forever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's an article about how bread uh, represents human civilization. And if we ever stop making bread, we're all going to die. And also how much I love personally baking. So. Awesome. Very, very, very hip. And Noah, what are you working on right now? Uh, well, right now, I just finished up a, a pilot of mine called uh, Sad Goblin Nightmare Boy. Uh, if any managers are interested in reading it, reach <laughs> out to me. My email can be found via Amy. Uh, so I'm working on that pilot. I'm revising two other pilots, uh, my medieval medical comedy and my uh, my uh, conspiracy, modern conspiracy pilot, and uh, working also on a horror film and doing my day job. Sweet. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, feel free to contact us at kingdomofpavement.com. Uh, and thanks so much for listening. Now this is the more asthma part? Yes, the more additional asthma. <laughs>